Welcome to Footnotes, created by Francis Garrett, a professor of Buddhist studies at the University of Toronto. Footnotes is a series of short lectures on research in the field. Each episode features an article or book chapter from an academic book. We aim to make topics in Buddhist studies research freely accessible to students and the public. This is Francis. Today I'm going to say a bit about the article called What Bodies Know About Religion and the Study of It, written by Kimmerer Lamoth and published in 2008 in the Journal of American Academy of Religion. This article is about the importance of thinking about the role of the body when studying religion. And though it was published more than 10 years before Mallory Nye's article called Decolonizing the Study of Religion, it's not unrelated. And I think it's an interesting example of a really different approach to the study of religion than the traditional kind of approach Nye was critiquing. Our music today was composed by Nick Bomarito, who's an assistant professor of philosophy at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. He studied at Brown University, Tibet University, and University of Michigan. His research focuses on questions in virtue ethics, moral philosophy, and Buddhist philosophy, and he's the author of a book called Seeing Clearly, A Buddhist Guide to Life, published by Oxford University Press in 2020. The piece we're listening to today is one of his works from the album called Harp Fragments, and it's called Folk Psychology. In her article, Kimura Lamoth wants us to think about the roles of our own bodies as we study religion. She writes that, quote, religious studies is perceived and practiced as a discipline in which we use linguistic tools, structuralist to interpretive, to translate symbolic texts, whether books, art, doctrine, ritual, or whatever, into verbal forms, texts, talks, or teachings, end quote. In this model, the body might be just another object of examination. And yet, she says, we all do have bodies. So what does thinking about this fact do to our work as students of religious studies? In this article, she's going to use the example of dance to help us think about how, as she puts it, the bodily movements we humans make enable us to think and feel and act as we do. In the first section of this article, Lamoth talked about some approaches to the study of religion that place reason and experience at opposite poles but also about how they're interdependent. She explains that reason describes a capacity to reflect on the contents and conditions of sensory experience, allowing us to know how and what we know. Experience, on the other hand, refers to the sensory impressions that stir thinking capacity to life in the first place, enabling us to know at all. And many philosophers will talk about which of these is most important, how the two are related, and how one or the other can be used to understand things like religion or the divine. What Lamoth wants to add in these discussions is an argument that our own bodies play a role in our understanding of concepts that we might know rationally. As she puts it, she wants us to think about the changes in our bodily selves that occur as we learn to read and write and think, as we learn to cultivate experiences of, say, religion, and reflect rationally or verbally upon them. What's missing, she says, is a sense that our scholarly education is a sensory education. 
In the next section, she takes up the example of dance as a way of explaining this idea more. She says that some scholars have definitely noticed the role of dance in various religious cultures, but when they do, they usually extract verbal meaning from dance. They might say, for example, that dance is a prototext for those without texts. For scholars who work with this analogy, she goes on to explain, there's little sense that the practice of dancing might have a distinct contribution to make the religion they seek to study. What Lamoth wants us to look at is how actually practicing dance or other forms of movement could help us actually understand religion or some other object to study differently. She gives us the example of some well-known American modern dancers, Ruth St. Dennis, Isadora Duncan, and Martha Graham, who credit inspiration for their work in the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Those modern dancers, Lamoth explains, made dance forms that tried to represent human being by noticing basic forms of human movement, like walking, jumping, or breathing. And they wanted us to think about how, quote, the action of dancing enables us to know something about human being that we wouldn't otherwise know, end quote. Not only do these dances recreate modes of human being, but they also bring into being the network of relationships with persons, places, and other forces. Lamoth continues to say, these artists imply that dancing stands alongside textual forms and practices as an alternative enabling perspective on religion. Dancing reveals religion as a means of participating in the rhythms of bodily becoming. Religious rituals or ceremonies that involve dance or movement are then ways to practice those kinds of patterns of thinking and feeling and acting in all the senses and in the body. In the next section of this article, Lamoth asks us to think about our own bodies as scholars or students. As we learn something in school, what kind of sensory experiences are creating the possibility for our learning? What are the emotional or sensory or embodied experiences that we're having as we're learning new things? She calls these the micro-moments of our lived experience. So if you can start to notice those, how would you see them play a role in your understanding? And do we need to translate those experiences into language, or can they hold meaning or make sense just as they are, as bodily movements? Lamoth points out that starting in kindergarten, we all learn to sit still in order to think, as if this is the bodily pose required for thinking clearly. We're training our senses away from our sitting bodies, she says, and so we come to believe that the words we produce in this state can float free from our bodily circumstances and communicate with others in social, temporal, spatial locations that are different than our own. After so many years of training ourselves like this, we find it nearly impossible to remember what our bodies know, she says. And so as we become totally attached to this kind of linguistic analysis, we think that this is what real scholarship is. Our bodies are just totally left behind. Lamas suggests that practicing something like dance, not necessarily some kind of formal dance, but I think she just means any kind of rhythmic movement, for example, can be a good idea for scholars and students because it can help us develop a lived sensory awareness of forms of embodied knowing about things. 
This will help us know and feel new things, different things, about our object of study. So as you study this article, here are a few questions to think about. Do you have any experiences in your own life with the idea of movement as a way of knowing in the way that Lamoth discusses? Do you think that Lamoth's suggestion that we use movement as a way to understand religion is an example of decolonizing the study of religion? Why or why not? This episode of Footnotes was produced by Francis Garrett with sound editing by Jesse Witte. The show's music was Folk Psychology by Nick Bomarito and Bells in the Wind by Daniel Birch. The Footnote series is created at the University of Toronto in Canada with support from eCampus Ontario.